The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 21st chapter. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare for your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be perished. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we just heard Ted read our gospel reading for today from the 21st chapter of Luke. I'm not going to reread the whole thing for you, but I am going to lift up some of the key words from it. Um, wars, insurrections, earthquakes, famines, plagues, importance, arrest, persecute, handover, betray, and death. Uh, it is our custom here, as it is in many churches, to read the gospel reading and then to conclude it. Uh, Ted just did this himself with the gospel of the Lord. And you probably know that the word gospel means good news. And it will not surprise me if upon hearing uh, this particular reading and then its conclusion, the gospel of the Lord, if some of you are thinking, I may have missed it, but where exactly is the good news in that particular passage? So what I want to do today is I want to answer two questions or lift up two thoughts. One is uh, answer the question, why are we reading this particular passage today specifically? And then I do want to offer some short but I think important uh, reasons why there is, in fact, some good news in this um, dark and foreboding gospel reading. So first of all, why are we reading it today? We're reading this particular passage today um, because we are now coming to the end of the church year, uh, which means that next week, which is the last week of the church year, is a festival called Christ the King or the Reign, R-E. I-G-N, of Christ. And so next week is the week when we uh, celebrate 
and acknowledge and look forward to that day when all of creation will be restored thanks to the work of Jesus. Creation itself, our own lives, we will be at peace with not only ourselves, but with one another and with God, right? The new Jerusalem will come down. Um, This week, the penultimate week of the church year, we remember that we are not yet there, right? As Christians, we live in this, some people call it the already but not yet. The promise of the resurrection um, certainly informs our lives and gives us hope, but we recognize, and we recognize this today, that clearly, and I don't have to do a lot of work, I don't think, to convince you of this, clearly the world is still fallen and broken, and our relationships are not perfect, either with ourselves or with others or with our God. And so before we get to Christ the King, the last week of the, of the church year, we pause to acknowledge that tension through a reading like this. Does that make sense? Now, we do call that the gospel reading. Um, so where is the good news in that particular passage? And I want to suggest three things. The first thing is I think that the good news, strange as it may sound, the good news is in the fact that we name and are honest about um, the difficulties and pain and challenge of this world, okay? Which means that when we come here, we are honest with one another about the world we live in and our own challenges and difficulties. That is far better news, strange as it may sound, in my opinion, than coming here and having us lie to all of you, right? And say, hey, the world is perfect. Don't worry, all is well. That would not only be dishonest, I think it would be cruel. So we come here to say the truth, to speak the truth, to be honest with one another, which I hope and pray allows us to come here individually. The passage is about some macro issues in some ways, but I pray that it allows us to come here individually and recognize, yeah, my life isn't perfect. I'm struggling, or I have pain, or I have grief. By doing that, we're honest with ourselves. That allows us to be honest with one another, and it allows us to heal, right? To be restored. Someone far smarter than I said once, the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And honesty, right, about our situation is one of the ways that we can step into that reality, okay? So that's the first reason I think this is good news. Second reason is um, in this passage, and it may be surprising, but in this passage, Jesus himself promises us that this world in all of its grief and pain and challenge and difficulty, is not the last word, okay? And I think he intended, when he was talking to his disciples 2,000 years ago, I think he intended it to be both a word that was honest, but also a word of comfort. Because after going through all the difficulties and pain and challenges that they are likely going to face, he concludes it with the second to last verse in this week's reading with this. But not a hair of your head will perish. I will always be with you, is what Jesus is saying. I will never desert you. Someone after the first service said, well, my hair is turning gray and I'm losing some of it, so I'm not sure I believe that. (laughs) I promised him at the end of time that all of his hair will be restored. Um, (laughs) 
But what Jesus is saying, again, is I will always be with you. I will never desert you, even through the difficult times. And one day all of this will come to an end. That's the promise that the circumstances of this life are not permanent. And Jesus makes that same promise to all of us here today. So that's the second reason I think this is good news. The first, again, it's honest about our circumstances. Uh, Second, Jesus promises it's not the last word. And the third and final reason I will lift up this morning that I think this is good news is that, again, it may be hard to see in this passage, but in this passage, Jesus honors us by saying to us, his followers, I think so highly of you, and I have so much trust in you, and I believe so much in your capacity for good that I am going to invite and call each and every one of you into my reconciling and restoring work in the world. Where do I get that from this passage? After Jesus, again, speaking to his followers, acknowledging the challenges and difficulties they will likely experience after he's gone, he he reframes those difficulties and challenges and the pain they will experience by saying those events will do this. This is verse 13. Those events will give you an opportunity to testify. Those challenges, those difficulties will allow you as my followers to step into those moments and speak a word of peace, to share a word of my grace, a word of my love. And we know with the benefit of hindsight that for 2,000 years now, Christians have been doing just that. In the midst of pain and difficulty and challenge, Christians through the ages have been speaking a word of hope, a word of peace, a word of love to the world, which is one of the very important reasons that all of us are here now 2,000 years later, because of those witnesses, those individuals who have witnessed before us. We are approaching Thanksgiving, obviously, and so it seems to me that one of the postures we should have at this time of year is precisely a posture of giving thanks. And so today, I want to suggest that it's appropriate for us to give thanks to this place where we can come to hear the truth about the world, also where we can come to hear about the promise that this broken and fallen world is not the last word, where we can give thanks to a God who cares so much for his his followers that he invites them to live lives of meaning and purpose. We can give thanks for all those Christians who have gone before us to witness, and we can pray that God will give us the strength and courage to witness in our own time and our own place. Amen. One of the ways that we witness here is through the sacrament of baptism. So I'm going to invite now Sarah and Reed to come up with Everett. Um, Congregation, you have what you need in the bulletin, I think, for the sacrament of baptism. Um, But if you want to follow along in the red hymnal, Um, You can find the full service on page 229. Hey, little buddy. You're very smiley. (laughs) That's nice to see. In baptism, our gracious Heavenly Father frees us from sin and death by joining us to the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are born children of a fallen humanity. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are reborn children of God and made members of the church, the body of Christ. 
living with Christ and in the communion of saints, we grow in faith, love, and obedience to the will of God. Parents and Godparent, as you bring Everett to receive the gift of baptism, you are entrusted with responsibilities to live with him among God's faithful people, to bring him to the word of God and the Holy Supper, to teach him the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and the Ten Commandments, to place in his hands the Holy Scriptures, to nurture him in faith and prayer so that he may learn to trust God, proclaim Christ through word and deed, care for others in the world God made, and work for justice and peace. I ask you, do you promise to help Everett grow in the Christian faith and life? If so, please respond, I do. And people of God, do you promise to support Everett and pray for him in his new life in Christ? If so, please respond, we do. Now I ask you to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, reject sin, and confess the faith of the church. Do you renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God? Do you renounce the powers of this world that rebel against God? Do you renounce the ways of sin that draw you from God? I ask you, do you renounce them? If so, please respond, I renounce them. I I invite the congregation to please stand. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.